All right, we are in James chapter 5. We will begin in verse 7 this morning and read through verse 11. And that will be our, our text for study today. So James 5, verse 7, he says. And this is kind of, he's rounding things out right now. So this is, this is sort of the, not sort of, actually, I think this is the conclusion. So James says, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives early and the late rains? You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So like I said, we're, we're coming into the home stretch now. This is, this is the... We're getting to the end of this, this epistle of James. And... Um, you know, we've been walking through it for several months now, and I don't know about you, but personally, just preparing the sermons and, and even preaching them, I, I have been challenged and broken down, um, and at the same time, I have been strengthened and encouraged in my heart by what James teaches us. He shows me how remarkably short I fall. At the same time, he gives me great hope in Christ. And I hope and pray that this has been and continues to be beneficial for you as well. Amen. You know, the scriptures assure me that when we labor in the work of the Lord, that we do not labor in vain. And so I have to trust the Lord. I do my best service toward Him and then trust Him for the outcome. Now, I'm saying that, and I believe that to be true, that that is, that is truth. I must do my best work for the Lord and trust the Lord for the outcome, that whatever comes of it is His good will and His good pleasure, and it is good. So I'm saying that, I believe that, but I'm not always very good at living that. I tend to be a somewhat impatient man. <laughs> and the wife agrees. So just by way of a personal example of what I mean by that, this is one area of my impatience that is glaringly obvious to me. Uh, most of you know that I, I work on computers for a living. Um, my personal machine that I use day to day is, is a beast. I mean, it, it screams. It's fast. It's like a, you know, a Maserati, Right? You give it gas and it goes. I punch a button on that machine, whatever I want to have happen, happens. Like that. And when my machine, the, and I've, I've been in computers for many years, when the machine that I work on stops being like that, I either fix it, and if I can't fix it, it's time to get a new one. Because I cannot stand to wait on my computer. If I punch a button, I need an almost immediate response. I get very frustrated or impatient when I have to work on a computer that doesn't run as fast as mine. In fact, I was talking to Michaela, my daughter, the other day about uh, my machine that I have at work. 
when I bought new computers for all the teachers, I made the conscious decision to buy myself the same model machine that they use. Normally, because I'm the director of technology and my workload, computing workload, is a bit heavier than they're, they're using PowerPoint or whatever, um, I get myself a beefier machine. But in the Lord's providence and giving me wisdom in this purchase, I thought, you know, it's better if I have to live in the same kind of skin that they live in so that if I start to feel pain, I'll understand what they're going through. So that when they come to me and say, hey, my computer is really slow, I don't look at them and say, well, you're, you're just an idiot. Mine's working fine. Isn't that how we do it? Isn't that the way we work sometimes? Well, I don't feel the pain that you're feeling, so you must not really feel your pain. You must be mistaken about this pain. So that's an aside the point. So I, I did purchase myself the same kind of model machine that everybody else does so that when it's slow, I'll know, well, it must be slow for them too. There must be a problem. If I'm feeling frustration, they must be frustrated too. So as part of my job, I have to work on, on computers, both mine and, and other people's, and no one brings a computer to me that's doing just fine, right? A doctor doesn't ever see people that are just really healthy, right? They, you, know, you go to them because you're sick. They bring their machine to me because it's, something's wrong with it. It's not working. And, and so I click and nothing happens. I have to wait. <sighs> and some of you have machines like this. You have computers like you'll click a button and, and you may go get a cup of coffee and then come back and, and then it's uh, whatever you wanted to have happen has happened. I cannot stand that. I mean, the, the more... And it's, a, it's like a daily practice of patience for me in in my job. I have a job that tests my patients because I, I work on machines that are slow and I don't like it. I don't like have to wait. I don't think I should have to wait on a computer to make decisions, do stuff. And it frustrates me. And so I'll be working on a machine and I'll get, I'll, sometimes I'll get angry and I just want to throw the daggum thing out the window and say, okay, it's, it's just time for a new one. I don't want to have to deal with, with fixing it, you know. I just can't stand to have to, to wait for it. And I'm telling you that because I, I don't think that my underlying problem in that area is something that is unique to me. Um, in various areas in all of our lives, I'm just pulling one out of the air that's a glaring example in my life. As, as human beings, we, we do tend to want to have things happen when we want them to happen. It amazes me how much like cats we tend to be. You know, cats want love when they want to be loved, right? Anybody cat people in here? I mean, if you're not, I totally get it. Because um, they, they're, they're not like dogs. Dogs just want love all the time, right? Cats, you know, they can care less about you one minute, and then when they want your attention, you better give it to them, or they will annoy you until you get angry over it. Um, so, I don't even know where I was going with that about... Oh, human beings, we want... I cut off on cats. We, we want things when we want them. We're like cats in that regard. We just, I mean, we, we want it to happen. We want it to happen right now. And, and when we meet discomfort, we meet things that don't agree with us or that don't, don't set right with us, we want them to be fixed. And, and when it's not fixed, then we get frustrated and we get anxious and we get impatient over it. And so, my uh, tendency towards impatience with computers, with the, the things I have to do on a daily basis, can wind up causing me much more stress and much more pain than if I exhibited patience in the first place. And that's what impatience does for us. It, it causes us to make decisions to do things that can be destructive and, and unwise, right? 
I can't tell you the number of times that I have brought down the entire school district's network, completely crashed it, only to have to rebuild it um, because I got impatient over an update or a process that should have gone quicker that didn't. And so what I do, I, I hit the reset button. I'm, I'm impatient about this. Let's reset it and try it again. And in doing so, I break the whole thing. So I cause myself mountains more stress and mountains more time and hours to redo. If I just been patient, let the process finish, it would be okay. And I wouldn't have to worry about that. But our impatience causes us to dive into things that would be unwise and that would be destructive. And I know I'm not the only one that deals with that. Or am I? Otherwise, James wouldn't have talked to us about it, right? He wouldn't have written to the churches about it because clearly it was a problem in churches as well. Sometimes my impatience on my job, you know, I expect things to happen when I want them to happen. When I click a button, it's supposed to be like that. Sometimes that can spill over into, my, into impatience in, in even this right here, in ministry. And that's what I was getting at earlier. I, I must trust the Lord for the outcome. I have to trust that my labor in the work of the Lord is not in vain. I mean, I love all of you. I do. I really do. There are times, though, when one of you will say something to me, and I will think in my, in my mind, did, did, were, you, were you just sitting in the same service that I, I remember saying that? Or I know you were here last week. I remember talking. Did you hear? Um, so I get impatient in, in the work of the Lord, and I want to see immediate results like I do on my computer. But that's not how people work, is it? And <laughs> much, to some of, much to my dismay, that's not how the Lord works either. He doesn't work like that, does he? In fact, I think it should be very telling to us that the fruit of the Spirit, um, among the other characteristics that it has, the fruit of the Spirit is long-suffering, meaning that the Christian life is marked by patience. The Christian life, have you ever thought about this? The Christian life is a life of waiting. Amen. Amen. Yes, we wait. Paul says we wait eagerly, but we wait with patience. And it's not just any kind of waiting, though. It's, it's, it's not just any kind of patience. It's not, it's not the kind of patience like me having to wait on my computer to do something. That's, that's inconsequential. I, I shouldn't be so immature to get impatient over something like that. The kind of waiting and the kind of patience that the Bible calls us to is is. The best way I know how to describe it is waiting under pressure. When the pressure's on, and yet we still wait. We're, we're calm. We, uh, we abide. The pressure's on, and, and everything in us wants to scream and lash out and, and reach out and run and do whatever we can do to, to change this pressure, and yet we wait. They that, what is the passion? They that wait upon the Lord. What do they do? Renew their strength. See, we are so full of restlessness and anxiety 
full of impatience. And the, the Bible calls us to a kind of waiting or patience that is patience under pressure. I think the root of that restlessness and anxiety, the root of that impatience is a lack of trust in the one who holds all things in his hand. A lack of trust in God. I've said it a number of times. If we really believe what the Bible says, we really believe that God is who he says he is and that God does what he says he does and that we are to him what he calls us, what reason do we have to worry? What reason do we have for impatience? What reason do we have for anxiety? Isn't that what Jesus said? Don't be anxious about tomorrow. You, you worry about food and clothing. and all. The Lord takes care of the sparrows. He'll take care of you. I'm, I'm saying that it's waiting under pressure, this patience that the Bible calls us to, because I think the Bible is full of that kind of example of patience. But from our immediate text this morning, I, want to, I mean, we want to be people of the Bible and we've got a passage that we're looking at. From our immediate text this morning, I think that's what James is calling us to as well, a patience under pressure. In our text, he tells us twice to be patient. Now this is... This uh, command that he gives us comes immediately after two sections, you remember from last week, where James changes his tone a bit in those sections, and he calls out those who are pridefully presumptuous and those who are rich oppressors. Now, undoubtedly, when James is calling out the rich oppressors, he was also coming to the defense of those who are poor, coming to the defense of workers who the rich oppressors were robbing of their wages. Um, James says this is wicked. It's wicked behavior. It's wicked behavior to be an oppressor. It's wicked, sinful behavior to hoard your food and, and your possessions while other people starve or go without basic necessities. He says it's wicked and sinful behavior for you to cheat others out of their wages just because you have the power and the influence to be able to do that and get away with it. James says that those rich who are greedy and oppressive, he says that they ought to weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon them because God hears the cries of those who are oppressed. Right? So I feel like, now we talked about that last week. James is talking to people who are in the faith or in the church, the fellowship, but outside the faith. So there was people who called themselves among the fellowship who were acting in this way and oppressing the poor. Right? And who they, at the same time they said, yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian. I believe in the Lord. I believe in Jesus. All that good stuff. I go to this assembly and the gathering. And they're gathering with the man who, who they just cheated out of his daily wages. And so James, I feel like, is coming to the defense of those poor Christians, those lowly Christians, who are not able to stand up for themselves by calling out the ones who are, who are oppressing and saying, you're not being Christian. This is sinful for you. He's coming to the defense of those poor Christians. So notice a dramatic shift in tone when we get to verse 7 in James. When what, he, what does he say? He says, be patient, therefore, brothers. Be patient, therefore. It's like there's a big shame on you to the, the rich who hoard and squander their resources and abuse those who rely on them. And then in verse 7, be patient, therefore, brothers. 
So he's like, I know that, that things are, are tough for you. I know that there are those in the fellowship who are mistreating you and it ought not to be that way. I know there are people who are being oppressive to you and you are being abused and it ought not to be that way. I know it's difficult. So, so just be patient. Be patient. The Lord is coming. So he says, be patient, therefore. So what is it therefore, right? It's there to offer hope. And it's there to offer instruction and encouragement in times of difficulty. He's not just saying, hey guys, wait it out. Because there's a promise that's attached to it. He says, therefore, because of what he just said, because of the times that are tough, because there are those who oppress you. And if you go back even further, therefore, because of, you know, you must tame your tongue and no man can tame the tongue. There, therefore, if you go back even further, if you have faith, you can't just say that you have faith. You have, to, you have to show it. You have to live it. It has to produce fruit in you by your good works. He says, therefore, be patient until the coming of the Lord. Wait patiently until the coming of the Lord. And then in verse 8, he doubles down on it, Right? He says, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. So it's the same kind of language. So the basis for be patient and the basis for establish your heart, you see the double language there for the wait for the coming of the Lord and establish your heart for the coming of the Lord. The basis for that is that the Lord's coming. The Lord is coming. Right? This is, be patient, wait for the Lord. Establish, the Lord's coming. So this is an instruction, it's a command, right? And a promise. In fact, let me put it this way, let me reverse it around. Let's say, this is a promise that commands. There, there are some truths that require, that command a certain response. Would you agree? There are some things that because they're true, I have no choice but to react in this way. Because it's true that abortion is murder, I have no choice but to oppose it. There's a truth. The Lord is coming. That's what he means by his coming is at hand, is that the Lord is coming soon. So there's a truth that demands from us. What does it demand? That we establish our hearts in patience. That's a promise. He is coming. Establish your heart. So what does he mean by establish? Well, the, the literal definition of the Greek word means to strengthen or to set in place, to set firmly in place or fix firmly. In fact, everywhere that word is used in the New Testament, that's, that's the sense of it, to strengthen or to fix firmly in place, which is what establishing is, to strengthen or to fix, to fix something firmly in place, to make something strong and solid and immovable where it is, to establish it, to fix it in place. So, so James says to establish your hearts, fix them in place, because the Lord is coming. 
And it's near. His coming is at hand. His coming is near. That's the basis. That's the reason for the establishment of our heart. We stand on the truth that God is coming. So I take it to mean then that, that when he says establish your heart, that we must strengthen ourselves mentally and spiritually and emotionally, strengthen ourselves in the knowledge that the Lord of all the universe is coming. And when he does, he will judge righteously. So God is coming, so establish your heart. Strengthen it. Fix it in place on that truth that God is coming. That's, that's, man, if we, just, if, if, if we just got that, the Lord is coming. If we just had that kind of, of rock-solid, bedrock foundation, there's so much that can be built on that. There's a life worth of praise and glory and, and service and honor that can be built on that one truth. The Lord is coming. There's a, an immediate context that we have to, to deal with. What does James mean by establish your hearts? I don't, I don't have the, the time to go into everything that James says here, but there are three examples that he gives that I think gives us a clue into what he's thinking and what was on his mind when he tells us to have a heart that is established, a heart that is strengthened in the knowledge that the Lord is coming soon. Notice he starts by saying, be patient in verse 7, right? And then there are several examples. He gives us three examples of what patience looks like. He follows that up with, establish your hearts. So be patient until the Lord comes. Establish your heart for the Lord is coming. That tells me that the established heart that James has in mind, the strengthened heart, the heart that is strong and fixed firmly, is one that patiently awaits the Lord's return. Now, I believe we can see in the passage today this is the conclusion of James's letter. He seems to be closing out his thoughts here. And I'll address some of that more next week. But he, he does come full circle here when we begin in verse 7. Remember way back in verse 1, or in chapter 1, verse 2, he, when he starts the body of his letter, he started out with that famous phrase, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And steadfastness, or let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. That's how he begins the letter. And then now here at the very end, in chapter 5, verse 7, he says, Be patient, therefore, brothers. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials. Be patient, therefore, brothers. Because of the, that oppression that you're coming into, because of the, the trials that you have, be patient, brothers, for the coming of the Lord. Let me ask you this, and just think about it. Under what circumstances do we have to practice patience? Is it when we have the things that we want? Do you practice patience then? Do you practice patience when everything is going the way that you want them to go? Do you have to practice patience with people when they are behaving just the way you want them to behave? You do not. Does any of that require patience? No. When does patience come into play? When there is conflict. When there is discomfort. When things are not going the way that we want them to go. 
right? That's when patience comes into play. Patience comes into play when we are, in a word, under pressure. Under pressure. Now you got that song in my head. I don't know. Under pressure. Um, I've totally lost my train of thought now. Why did you do that? I know, I know. Yes. Patience comes when we are under pressure. Under pressure. So when our circumstances cause us discomfort or pain. And it comes into play when we face, remember like James said, trials of various kinds. Now, if we look at the examples that James gives us about patience, we're going to see a pattern that starts to emerge, all right? So let's look at the first example. In verse 7, he says, See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. So he's waiting for the fruit, right? And he's patient about waiting for the fruit. Because to get the fruit, we have to get the early rain and the late rain. Who sends the rain? Well, Deuteronomy tells us that the Lord is the one that sends the rains. So we wait for the Lord. Now, I'm no farmer. I'm not a gardener either. I've never really tried my hand at any of that. But I I do know enough to know that there is a lot of patience involved in in gardening and farming. You put a seed into the ground and then, and, you know, a ground that's been prepared properly with the right nutrients and, and you provide it sunlight and water and, and you wait. And you wait. And then you wait some more. You wait for it to sprout. You wait for it to take root. You wait for it to grow. And even as you see it grow, you say, oh, it's growing. That's good. What do you got to wait for? You got to wait for it to fruit, for it to, to, sp- to bear fruit. There's a whole lot of waiting and a whole lot of expecting there in gardening, in in farming, right? It's an example of the kind of patience that James wants us to have here, waiting with expectation. Romans 8, Paul describes this kind of waiting. In Romans 8, 23, he says, Not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly, for the adoption of, as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Amen. Now do you see that in, in verse 23? We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly. And then in verse 25, we wait for it with patience. So we wait eagerly, which means we have anticipation, we have, we have expectation, we have a, a longing for our redemption, there's an eagerness for it, and it's a patient waiting. Verse 25, we wait with patience. So we eagerly long for it with patience. There's an expectation. I can't wait, but I, I'm, I'm comfortable. I know it's coming. I know it's coming. I'm excited, but I know it's coming. I, I'll wait till I get here. It's good. I know it's coming, so I'm, I'm confident in the end. There's a certain trust that we must have in order to eagerly await something and yet be patient about it, right? So if you were eagerly awaiting something and you had no real trust that you were going to get it, let's say you buy a lottery ticket, right? Let's, let's put it, let's do it that way. You buy a lottery, what was it listed? Last quarter, one, 
something over a, over a billion dollars, and you think, I'm going to buy a lottery ticket, and you get real excited about that lottery ticket. You are eagerly awaiting, right? I cannot, oh, man, I can just imagine. I can just imagine what I can do with a billion dollars. Oh, my gosh, billion dollars. But then the lottery numbers start getting red, right? And you're, you're, you're going down with them. Well, that's not my number. Well, that's not my number. Now what happens? Now you're anxious. And there's no patience in that. Huh? There's no patience in that. It's all anxiety. And then you don't. So the, because, why? Because there's no trust. There's no promise in the lottery ticket. Amen. Amen. Jesus is not a lottery ticket. Amen. The Lord's coming again is not a lottery ticket. There's a sure and solid promise there. Amen. There's a certain trust that we must have that, that we have to have in order to be able to eagerly await with patience. If I knew that I had that lottery ticket and, and I knew that those numbers were going to be my numbers, right? I mean, I don't know how I'd know. Maybe I cheated the system. Who knows? But I knew that there was, it was going to be my numbers. I could wait years for it because I know it's coming, Right? There's a trust here that we must have to wait eagerly with patience. Remember when Paul um, was talking in his letter about, uh, to the Corinthians, he was talking about, he used the same kind of metaphor. He said that one plants and one waters, but God brings the increase. The same kind of farming uh, metaphor. Well, Paul was talking about the seed of God's word being preached and trusting that the Lord would accomplish his will through that seed. So, I mean, we, we preach with eagerness. I'm eager to preach. I'm eager to get the word out there. But then I have to wait for the promise. I have to wait and, and, and let the Lord do his work. Let it do his, now, James is talking about the providence of God in our lives. We, we wait as farmers wait with eager expectation for the yield of the crops. Boy, those bell peppers are going to taste good. Can't wait to slice one up and put it in my fajitas. It's going to be wonderful. We wait as, as, as farmers with eager expectation for the Lord is the one who gives the former rain and the latter rain. The Lord is the one who causes the increase. This is a patience in waiting, Amen. a patience in knowing that there will be a yield. If I plant the seed and I water it and I give it sunlight, biology tells me I'm going to get a yield. Amen. We trust the, the process of God. Trust the the process of God. You, you can't see what's going on underground. You just have to plant the seed and wait. And, and maybe it doesn't happen in the right time. Maybe it doesn't happen the way you want it to or the, in the timing that you expect it to. You have to trust that the Lord is waiting. I eagerly await it because I know what he promised. And so I'm going to trust the process of God. That's what James talks about in his first example in the... In the, the, the Waiting, the patience in waiting. Second example comes in verse 10. He gives an example. He says, As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Now, this is patience in, in suffering because we know uh, Jesus talked about how they, they murdered all the prophets. The Lord sent you prophets and they murdered them. In Acts 7, when Stephen is preaching, at the end of his sermon, he says, you, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in your heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so did you. And then he gives an example of how their fathers resisted the Holy Spirit. In verse 52, he said, which of the prophets 
did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. Amen. Remember what they did to Stephen for calling him, them out like that. They stoned him. They put him to death. Just like they did the prophets who spoke the truth. And James here says, look at the prophets. He says, be patient, therefore, brothers. You, you see how the farmer waits for the crops? You be patient like that. Establish your hearts. Because God's coming. Be patient, brothers. Look at the prophets. How did they suffer? In patience. They remained faithful to the promise of God in the face of great persecution. They remained patient in their suffering. James says in verse 11, he says, Behold, we consider them blessed who remain steadfast. So they trusted God. There's a certain, there's a certain kind of trust that, that must be present in order to be patient in suffering. I have to trust that there's, there's, there's something good coming from this. Amen. 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 If, I, if I'm, if I'm going to suffer and, and just be patient through that, if I'm going to deal and just trust the Lord, I'm going to trust that what He's doing is, is for my good and His glory. They were blessed who remained steadfast. And we're called to that kind of patience also, trusting the promise of God even when we suffer. And James shows us that God is always faithful to His Word even when we hurt. We consider them blessed who remain steadfast. We, cons we consider, so we look at them, the prophets, who got murdered, and we say, what a blessed life. Because they remained patient in suffering. And finally, we come to the, the third example that James tells us to look at Job. He says, You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. This is patience in enduring. Do you remember all that Job went through? Do you remember that? It's a lot that he had to go through. He lost his family, lost his wealth for no reason that was apparent to him. And yet, what did Job say about it? He said, though you slay me, yet will I trust you. And James says, look at that kind of steadfastness. He says, look at Job. That when everything seems like it's falling apart... He trusts the purpose of the Lord. Lord, I, I trust your purpose in this. I don't know why I'm going through it, but even though you slay me, I trust you. There's a purpose here. I trust your purpose. There's a reason that you're being asked to endure what you're being asked to endure. James says, trust God's purpose. And why? He gives us, he doesn't just say do this because I said so. He gives us a reason. Is it because you, you've seen the purpose of the Lord and here's his purpose. He is compassionate and merciful. It could be that James was right when he opened his letter by saying that the trials that we go through produce in us something that is valuable so that when we meet the Lord, we will be able to stand without blemish. We should patiently endure them. It takes a certain kind of trust in God's purpose. So when I think about it, when I think about patience, and 
all the times when I've had to face something that is, uh, when, I, when I've come under pressure and I've had to exercise patience under pressure. You know, you can exercise patience under pressure raising your kids, right? There's a lot of pressure there. Patience under pressure in your marriage. Sometimes there can be a lot of pressure there and you have to be patient. Lord, I, you know, I said I do back then, but things certainly aren't as sparkly as they used to be. But I'm, I'm going to endure because I know this is a good and holy thing. So James says that, that we should establish our hearts. When I've had to think about, when I think about the times I've had to be patient in my pressure, it always comes back to a degree of trust. Patience is born from trust. I either trust the promise of the Lord, or I trust the process of the Lord, or I trust the, the purpose of the Lord. We don't labor in vain. He works in ways that we can't see. That's the process of God. Do you trust that? You know, I, how many times do you, have you met the Lord in prayer and, and you've stood on the, the promise of God? You know, he says, if you ask anything in my name, I will give it. He says that healing is the children's bread and if you ask for bread, I will not give you a stone. You stand on the promises of God and you ask him to deliver on his promise and yet we fail in trusting the process. Sometimes, let me put it this way, David, had he never been hunted by Saul, would never have written, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Amen. Sometimes there's a process that has to, we have to go through to get us to a certain realization of who God is. Amen. We would never have, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, if he hadn't gone through the process. Amen. There's a great glory that awaits us, right? And so Paul said that these present trials that we go through, the, the, I mean, and Paul suffered. He suffered quite a bit. And he said, these are but minor afflictions compared to the glory that awaits me in Christ. How, what was it that enabled Paul to endure that? It was trust in the promise. I trust the promise that at the end of this, there's something sweet. Let me eat these bitter herbs because at the end I get dessert. He's promised us a good and expected end. We don't have to be anxious about the future. Trust the promise of God. And trust the purposes of God. There's a reason that he takes us through the hills and the valleys. Trust his purposes. So James says, brothers, be patient. Be patient. And I think this is him rounding out his letter. He's, he's concluding his thoughts. He's got some, some other things to, to bring up, but you know, back in the day when they didn't have, uh, uh, when he got word processors, they couldn't go back and insert and edit. 
and copy and paste. I couldn't do that. So if the, he's spending time writing a letter. Oh, I forgot to mention this. You know, I think that's what's coming next is his, his, his postscript, if you will. Oh, by the way, these are important things too that just came to mind as I'm rounding things out. But you can see where he's concluding here, right? He starts off, count it all joy when you fall into trials. And now he says, brothers, be patient until the Lord comes. What a great promise he's given us. What, what, what a great foundation he's given us to stand on. There's no reason that we have for anxiety and worry and fear and impatience. The Lord has it. James even reminds us, remember he said, what is your life? It's but a vapor. What are you worried about? <laughs> what are you worried about? It's just a vapor. God's coming. God's coming. Trust his, his, uh, his process. Trust his promise. Trust his purpose. And all those things be patient. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we come to you in the name of Jesus. I thank you for your word. Once again, it is precious and holy to us. Father, I pray that it is uh, seed for the sower and that you let it rest in our hearts. And, you know, we just trust you that your word will do your work in your people for your glory. And, Father, I just I pray that you make that a reality for us today.